Welcome to Speaking of Allyship, a podcast of the Boston Club, New England's premier women's leadership organization. I'm your host, Lisa Pryor, President. Here, we bring you personal stories and proven leadership practices for allyship, including what it means, how to be an ally, and how to receive or ask for allyship too. Allyship is expansive in the workplace, across gender, race, orientation, identity, or how about just thinking differently? This podcast brings you together with amazing business and thought leaders of Greater Boston, Massachusetts, and New England to hear their personal stories and journeys, and how their experiences and lessons learned shaped their leadership approach. You'll take away insights and tips, learn how allyship and mentorship can play a role in your career, and how you can pay it forward, and leadership practices on everything from how to create inclusive work environments to how to be brave and prepared for challenging conversations. Let's get started. Welcome back to Speaking of Allyship, a podcast of the Boston Club. I'm Lisa Pryor, president, and so excited to be here today with our key partner and stakeholder, J.D. Chesloff, president and CEO of the Massachusetts Business Roundtable. J.D., welcome. It's so great to have you here. Thank you, Lisa. Thrilled to be here and to uh, have this conversation with you. It's exciting. And, you know, we, we're trying to have this sort of natural conversation about allyship and what it means. And, you know, our conversation with you today is, is a lens on allyship that's really about allyship across gender, uh, how men, men working with women in, in advancing diverse women, um, into leadership roles. And so, um, JD, where I'd love to start is just to, hear a little bit about your perspective along your leadership journey, and especially as you have moved through organizations and roles, what have you noticed about differences between the journeys of men and women when it comes to leadership? Yeah, thank you, Lisa. So just a little bit about my journey, right? I I run the Massachusetts Business Roundtable, right? I am essentially a business lobbyist. My dirty little secret about that is I was raised by hippies. (laughs) <laughs> who were actually raised by communists. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> and somehow I ended up being a business lobbyist, right? Love it. Which is really interesting. And it's, I think it's important to, to kind of highlight that as part of the beginning of my journey because there's a perspective that comes along with that, right? And I think embedded in that upbringing is a feeling of empathy, a call to help people. It's part of why I got into public service. And that, that was really the first part of my career was in public service working for a congressman and then up in state government for a, for a state representative. I worked for the, the state treasurer and then the, the Ways and Means Committee and a variety of, of, of positions in state government. And I think there was a calling, there's a public service mm-hmm. calling that I think came from my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Embedded as that is this sort of natural tendency to be supportive, nurturing, right? Sort of these elements of allyship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of my my upbringing that I think that I think I then brought to my professional career. Mm-hmm. With regard to what I've noticed about women leaders, the first woman leader who I was really exposed to and worked very closely with was Shannon O'Brien mm-hmm. when she was state treasurer. She then ran for governor. This was twenty years ago now, in, in two thousand two, and that was when I really saw the different standard to which women are held. I mean, I kind of knew it, but I saw it up close. Right. I mean, there were there were times where I would go to to our campaign office early. Somebody would call and be talking about the color of her dress on mm-hmm. the, 
on a at an event the night before on TV the night before. You know how she pronounced certain words. You know it was just a different set of questions that I was getting, as opposed to previously having only worked for men. How would you characterize those kinds of questions? It's funny. I mean, I, it struck me as unfair. Mm-hmm. But when I when when I was receiving them. To me, it was more fl- reflection on the person asking them, sort of uh, mm-hmm. a level of ignorance on their part, as opposed to a reflection of her, which I thought was, it was just kind of an interesting, um, it was an interesting lens to have yeah. on what she experiences, you know, that I just never would have experienced. I then came over, I mean, after a few stops, I ended up here at the round table and we've had three women chairs of our board. Mm-hmm. The first one was in 2010, a woman named Donna Capello, who was the region president of Verizon. It was the first time we had a woman a woman chairing the board of the roundtable. And the roundtable has been around for over 40 years. Wow. Marcy Reed followed her um, from National Grid. Jane Steinmetz is our current yep. chair from EY. And what I, I guess what I, how I would describe their leadership, I wouldn't necessarily compare it to the male leaders of our board. But what I, what I noticed about women leaders is there's an empathy to their leadership. They're very engaged, very strategic, and there's a kindness about them that I think is is part of their leadership style. Mm-hmm. And those are all pieces that I, you know, over the course of time, try to incorporate into my own leadership style because I've just found them to be very effective. I love that. And, you know, I appreciate where you started, which is sort of the the space of, of where you grew up and, you know, the, who, who you are naturally, you know, and, and, you know, I just need, need to say, we are just so appreciative always of your support of our mission at the Boston club. You are, you are a natural ally in that way. I can see what you were describing your journey, what, what you brought to that. And the, the reality of you even, you know, observing that experience for Shannon O'Brien, you know, that is bringing empathy, but you, you were, you're paying attention, right? It, it caught your attention and, and we, we have to be kind of dialed into empathy to, you know, even have that observation. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And you described a little bit about how that began to shape your own, your own leadership journey and perspective. And, I'm curious as you you reflect on um, even broadly, more broadly, women leaders. How have you seen the journey? How is it different for for women, particularly who are diverse, who yeah. might might be in our BIPOC community, our LGBTQ plus community? What what do you observe about the journey for our com- our diverse communities of women leaders? I guess uh, for their journey, what I've noticed is the journey for them isn't about talent. Right, they have the talent. It's about access, and how do you make sure the right people are seeing the talent? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always struck by this passage in White Fragility. Mm-hmm. The book White Fragility. Mm-hmm. It talks in there about how many of the of the major institutions in our society, the decision makers are all white men. Right, whether it be media, um, the church. Um, the military, business, sports, right? They have all these examples. And they talk about how do you provide access to decision-making, right? And I don't think that the people who are in the decision-making positions of those institutions are more talented than people who are not. It's just the people who are not don't have the access, right? And so how do we as allies 
think about providing that access. Um, and so that's what I what I think about the platform that I have at the roundtable, right? Is how do we use that platform as an ally to have that talent exposed to places that otherwise might not be exposed? I, and it's such an important question. And let's come back to that in in a second because it's uh, it's 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 sort of at the heart, isn't it, of allyship? There's there's empathy, there's understanding, there's self development. But at the end of the day, what are we doing to advance? Right. Uh, women and, and our, our, our diverse uh, women communities. You know, you and I had a, a conversation previous to, to this one about uh, an experience you had along your own leadership journey, um, this sort of concept of, of natural allyship versus intentional allyship. And you described a situation where one of your women, female colleagues gave you a book. I yeah. wonder if you'd be willing to share that story with us. Sure. Yeah. This was many years ago. You know, I think what happens is, is people like me with an upbringing like me, right? Like this very progressive upbringing by hippies and communists. <laughs> I think we have this view of ourselves, particularly as a white male, that we get it, right? We understand allyship. We know we're good people. We're, we think we're good people. And I, yeah, I had this friend who gave me a book on misogyny. <laughs> and at the time, I didn't know what misogyny meant. Mm. I didn't know... I couldn't define the word. It was a new word to me. I was in my, well into my 20s. And somehow I had missed that. Now that's on me, but I missed it. And here's a person who by all rights should have known that and been been empathetic toward it, right? Mm-hmm. And I got this book and I'm like, what is, what is this about? And she's a misogyny. I'm like, what is that? And it just went downhill from there um, <laughs> to that conversation. But it was just, you know, it sort of, it, it showed to me that, I don't have it all figured out. I think a lot of us in my position don't and probably need to admit that. And you never stop learning about this stuff. You never stop learning about how you can be a better ally. You know, and I I thank you for sharing that story. It's that moment in the leadership journey, right, where this is what leadership is all about. It's it's this self-awareness and there's a lot about leadership that's wonderful and fun, sharing a vision, being out there, bringing people together. But where the real leadership happens is is kind of looking at ourselves and those uncomfortable things about ourselves. And um, I, I, you know, you've just role modeled a way for us to just kind of talk about the journey and 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 make it safe for each other to say, you know, I didn't realize I was thinking this way, and and now that I have. You know, one of one of the comments that that you uh, we had we had kind of talked about before was how that experience of seeing yourself as a natural empathetic ally, being raised by hippies and communists, and but sort of transformed your way of thinking about is natural allyship enough? Yeah, and what does it mean to be more intentional? Yeah, and so. You know, curious to hear, and it picks up on that thread. How do how do we as allies provide access? So, can you help translate this this idea now from natural allyship and our good intention to what does it look like day to day when you're providing access or you're acting as a male ally for all women? Yeah. So, natural allyship to me is you're just fundamentally a decent human, right? Who is concerned about other people supporting them, nurturing them, understanding that their journey is not your journey, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to dismiss that because I think there's an there's an undercurrent, a fundamental undercurrent of kindness in that, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're if you're going to be just a decent human, you'll naturally be an ally to people. 
I think what I've learned over time, though, is that's not nearly enough in terms of what underrepresented, marginalized, discriminated groups need. And so that's when I think it it sort of kind of skips to um, this intent concept of intentional allyship. And that is where you take action, right? You use mm-hmm. the platform to be an ally. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, I was having lunch with a very good friend of mine, Pratt Wiley, who runs the partnership, dear mm-hmm. friend. And he, his organization is an organization of extremely talented, mid-career, early career, NC-level people of color. And he was talking about the kind of experiences that they that the program exposes them to as a professional development opportunity for them as they're thinking about advancing their careers. Mm-hmm. And it was things like engaging in public policy, sitting on boards, building out their personal networks, right? These kind of strategies. And I said to him, well, geez, that's what we do at the roundtable. Let's think about a way to provide access mm-hmm. to our board, to some of your folks. And I think there's there's mutual benefit. There. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of layers to that, that relationship, but it's sort of a, a, a proactive thought about using the platform to be an ally. And what we found is we had a few folks join the roundtable, sit on a board. They are now in, in leadership positions in the group. As I said before, it had nothing to do with talent. These mm-hmm. are extremely talented people. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, in this case, two women who are now in our executive committee and helping to lead the organization. And so I think about, yeah, I, I could be nice to people and be an ally to people. And I know that I have done that, but for folks like me, I I don't think that's enough. And if you be more intentional about it, you can, you can have some impact. And what I appreciate in that, you just, uh, for us at the Boston Club, you've, you've heard us talk about, you know, our mission and vision, but what we do is uh, engage people in conversations that matter to build relationships that matter, that advance women to tables that matter. And what you just described was that process that, and you use the word relationship because at the end of the day, it's, it's getting to know each other. It's that intention and uh, appreciate how that transformed or, or your own thinking about your own practices. Cause it really is at the end of the day for, for business leaders, especially for any organizational leader, what are the practices we're putting in place to, to create that access? Well, at least just to get back to something you said earlier about feeling uncomfortable. I think what gets in the way sometimes is folks feeling discomfort in taking that leap, feeling threatened mm-hmm. by taking that leap. But once you're there, it's not uncomfortable. It's not threatening at all. In fact, it's soul nurturing, soul enriching, you know, and it's also, you can see the benefit of your action, right? I mean, folks benefit from it and yeah. that feels good. That's part of being an ally, I think. Yeah. And that discomfort, JD, is, is a, it's, it's an issue in leadership, right? Because, uh, it, it's a barrier to actually, you know, living the things we, we, we say we, we believe in. But leadership is really leaning, leaning into that discomfort. Curious as you think about the, the landscape now, just kind of elevating the conversation to, as you look across, you know, Massachusetts, when you, when you think about, What's happening here with respect to allyship and and that access? What's happening in Massachusetts that might be different or interesting compared to other regions? So let me answer that two ways. One is, you know, my my day to day experiences with leaders in in large companies, um, corporate leaders in large companies. There is definitely an intentional focus on on allyship amongst business leadership here mm-hmm. that I've seen. 
Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can cite a variety of examples of companies who are elevating DEI within their companies to not just an HR function, but as a, as a direct line to a CEO, for example. Mm-hmm. You could see companies who are very intentional about their board composition and being very public about it. And then there are, you know, ERGs. There's all sorts of stuff happening internally to make sure people are heard and to have the employer be an ally in the development of people's careers. So I think that's going on and I see that. I think politically what's interesting here is we don't really have a far right here. And as I talk to to, um, colleagues of mine around the country, where there is more of a far right politically active group in those states, it does seem to drive a discourse in a way that's just not driven here. And I think that that gives folks a little more freedom to be allies. Interesting. So, uh, so the political context uh, enables um, our, our 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 business leaders to be more open in 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 their own allyship and advancement of. Yes, I, I think that is absolutely true. And I also, you know, I hear more and more business leaders talking about it as a competitive advantage here. And if you think about it from their view, it's we have an ecosystem here that would attract people. But from the from the employee or from the the people who are coming here because of that ecosystem, they can, they view it as an atmosphere that is more supportive. And I think there's fundamentally in that the ability then to come and either be an ally mm-hmm. or have somebody be a mentor to you. It's really encouraging. That's yeah, really encouraging. And and I know you have many amazing businesses, business leaders as part of your community. Just you know, who, who comes to top of mind, standing out, uh, you know, with these practices and sort of bold new ways of providing access and advancing all women. You're, you're asking me which one of my children I like the most. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be a you know interview without a tough question, JD. Come There's on. A lot of good stuff. I mean, I know you had I know you had um, Jane Steinmetz on recently yes, in the podcast, that's right. who's done some incredible stuff around neurodiverse populations and and hiring really kind of brown, groundbreaking work at EY. Bob Rivers over at Eastern Bank is doing incredible stuff around board diversity and elevating women leaders. On and on, PNC Bank, State Street, and I can I can go on and on. I don't want to because I'll leave somebody out. <laughs> but I do think that I do feel lucky here to be in an environment where you have employers and business leaders who really do focus on this and are intentional allies. Right? It's not just oh, we're good people, but it's there's real intentionality behind what they're doing. Yeah. And what I appreciate about that so much, I'll go back to that word you used about the ecosystem. When the ecosystem, you know, allows for discourse, it allows for sharing of best practices, because it's a bit of what you just, I really, you know, you were, had the, had that you had the practices right there for business leaders to, to learn from, from one another. You know, at the Boston Club, we, we believe, you know, our, our vision is how do you be a force for change? How do you harness your collective agency to be a force for change, not just for healthy organizations, but for a healthy and just society. And and uh, what I you know appreciate in this conversation that the connective tissue really between business and society and the very specific ways that you're creating that bridge at the Massachusetts Business Roundtable. So JD, you know, as we we begin to wrap up here, what's one idea or wish that you would want to leave us with for the future? A, a practice or something that might seem out of reach today? You know, I, I think you're never you're never too old to be mentored. 
right? And I think you can have a role model while being a role model. As I think about being an ally, that's not that's not a one-way relationship. Mentoring is not a one-way relationship. I mean, I'm a mentor at a program called Conexion, which is for mid-career Latina and Latino professionals. I learn just as much from them as they learn from me. And I think if you are committed to emulating good behavior, you're never really too old to be mentored. It's a constant learning journey. Fantastic. JD, how can people continue the conversation with you on your Twitter, LinkedIn? Yeah. So the roundtable is on both Twitter and LinkedIn, as am I. Um, And if folks want to connect, I'd be more than happy to do that. Well, JD, with gratitude, you, you role model the way to be an ally. And, and you do that, what you shared with us today, just bring your willingness to share a vulnerable story, to share your own learning and insight at that inter, at that personal level, kind of being okay with being in that discomfort and, you know, realizing uh, you can come out of it and be, be even better, especially as a leader and how important that is. But also that macro view that you're, you're bringing and the tone you're setting at the Massachusetts Business Roundtable for this kind of collaboration, this kind of vibrant ecosystem that at the end of the day really is about healthy businesses and a just society. And we're just so thrilled and appreciative to be in your partnership sphere. J.D. Chesloff, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Business Roundtable, thank you so much for being with us today. Great. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you for all the work you and the Boston Club are doing. It's great to be partnering with you on this. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Allyship, a podcast of the Boston Club, New England's premier women's leadership organization. You can find resources and links from this episode in the show notes at www.thebostonclub.com. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. This is your host, Lisa Pryor, President. Be well and ask yourself, what's one thing I could do today to be an ally?